This episode of Voices of the Elephant is brought to you by PHP Storm. Visit voicesoftheelephant.com slash phpstorm for more information. Welcome to the Voices of the Elephant podcast. Each episode of Voices of the Elephant brings you an interview with a member of the PHP community. From project leaders to user group organizers, we talk to the people that are helping make the PHP community special. Hi and welcome to another episode of Voices of the Elephant. My name is Cal Evans and we're here in beautiful Nashville, Tennessee at the inaugural Southeast PHP. My special guest today is none other than my longtime friend, Mr. Paul Jones. Say hi to everybody, Paul. Hi, everybody. Now, Paul, um, you have done enough of these so that you have your own category on the site. And um, so it makes it a little difficult to interview you because, you know, the first thing I always do is, well, tell me your hero backstory. Yeah, we've done that episode. Right. You know, well, well, tell me about your framework. Yeah, we've done that episode. What you're working on, we've done that episode. So, um, but I do want to, I know we've talked about it in the past, but I do want to revisit um, the, as our first topic. You've got a new book or you've got a book out um, on modernizing legacy PHP. Talk to us a little bit about who should be reading this book. Right. So the book is called uh, Modernizing Legacy Applications in PHP. Uh, I want you to imagine uh, the worst possible code base that you've ever had. Uh, spaghetti includes everywhere. Everything includes everything else. Uh, anytime you touch one variable in one place, something somewhere else breaks because it's all global variables all the time. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Globals are bad? Globals are bad. Jeez, Go man. I've got to start putting some PRs into my projects. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, globals are the root of all evil in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, so uh, if you've got a code base like that, uh, then this is the book for you. Uh, what, by the, what, so what the book presents is a series of, if I recall correctly, 15 steps, uh, where the first one is you set up an autoloader. The second step is you start consolidating your classes. Step by step through this, through this book, what happens is that each step along the way, you improve the quality of the code base without changing the functionality of the code base. And the nice thing is that the hmm. code base keeps running the whole time. So there's no point at which you have to shut everything down to make a change. Uh, you just make, you do the one step and then everything is better and you can come back to the next step later on. Uh, by the time you are done with this, you go from a spaghetti mess of includes and global variables everywhere to uh, something to a code base that is uh, dependency auto-loaded, dependency injected, unit tested, layer separated, and front controlled. Hmm. Uh, you'll be able to breeze through it a whole lot more easily uh, than you did at the beginning of the project when it was still really terrible legacy. Uh, and you end up somewhat much more modernized. Uh, and in doing so, you improve not only the quality of the code base, but you also improve your own skills as a developer. Yeah. Uh, so the as far as the audience is concerned, anyone who's stuck with a, a legacy code base of that sort, uh, you will be able to make great use of it. That, that that's very concise. Now. I got to ask because I, I read a lot of programming. Okay, I skim a lot of programming <laughs> books, um, and there's a lot of good books out there. But their theory, I'm much more inclined to books that are actionable intel. Um, which, which side does yours fall in on? Is it is it theory or is it actionable it, it, intel? It is very definitely actionable. Okay. Uh, the each chapter is dedicated to one specific step in the process. Uh, where I give you an outline of what the process is going to be, then we walk through it, 
and then we talk about what the next steps are going to be, and then there's a whole series of questions and answers at the end of each chapter uh, as to things that are uh, ancillary to that chapter, but that uh, aren't necessarily the main thrust of it. Uh, so again, it, it is literally a step-by-step -step process that you can follow mm -hmm. uh, on your PHP code base. Now that's not to denigrate uh, other books like uh, the, Re the Fowler's Refactoring book, where it's a catalog of things to, of things oh, yeah. that you can do. Uh, it's not to denigrate Michael Feather's uh, Working Effectively with Legacy Code, which again is excellent, mm -hmm. more tuned to compiled languages in Java than the PHP. Mm -hmm. This is very specifically a PHP book for refactoring PHP applications of the kind you see in the wild. Yeah, and all all PHP jokes aside, because I've got a whole book of them, um, th there are things that are specific to PHP that you're not going to get in the more generic um, books. You know, they, it, 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 this kind of stuff lends itself much more to a, a specific or language specific book. Absolutely. So uh, again, the auto loading—that's not something you're necessarily going to find in Java. Yeah. Uh, and also in compiled languages in Java, you have a different kind of a different set of problems. Hmm. Uh, Feathers working effectively with legacy code presumes that you have classes in the first place, and in oh, a lot yeah. of PHP code, especially in the wild, you're lucky if you've got classes. Yeah. You've probably got a ton of global functions, uh, but more often than not, you have what I uh, call in the book an include-oriented architecture, Absolutely. where what you have is just a bunch of files that you include, and those include other includes, and after a while, you have no idea what's coming from where. But that, you know that's not bad, because it, I mean, it's only in recent PHP history that we've gotten a usable object model where we could begin moving away from that. Right. Um, I mean, we got objects in PHP back in four, in four. and somewhere in five, we got a, a object, we got hierarchy and a class model and everything, but it, it really wasn't usable to about five, 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 six. Um, you know, we had it, but it, it just, it wasn't almost, it was almost there, but not quite. Well, certainly it wasn't anywhere, it hadn't, wasn't as popular, because people starting out with PHP, and this mm -hmm. is how everyone, pretty much how everyone starts it out, you're probably not a professional programmer to begin with. That's true. Uh, what happened was you had a technology, you had a technology bent, or you had an interest in technology in your organization, and someone said, oh, let's put up a website, and eh, we need to connect to a database. You're like, oh, wow, I can do that with PHP, and you don't really <laughs> need to know much about PHP in order to get that going. Yeah. And you're not thinking about, well, I need to do my class-oriented architecture, right? or that I need to have model view control or any of this other stuff. No. Uh, the, and that's and that's one of the, the great things about PHP is that you can actually do that. The great thing about PHP is that anyone can use it. You can get something running really fast, and you know if you wanted to make some money with it. But the great thing about PHP is also the terrible thing about PHP, and that is that anyone can use it. Yeah. Uh, and by the time you've written something that's making money. Uh, you weren't thinking about testability. You were thinking about how am I going to get this credit card payment processed? Uh -huh. And then someone else has got to come along and maintain the thing, and they don't understand it. It's a, it's a spaghetti mess. Yeah, I, and I've dealt with this on several different um, levels. I do love the fact that you help developers build as they're modifying their code. You help them build it into a testable architecture because yes. that helps them moving forward. They're not going to have these problems. Unit testing. A lot of people think unit testing. Oh, that's just a checkbox I got to do. But you know, unit testing. I can come back to that later. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Especially regression testing, which is a form of unit testing, is very much a keep you from making the same mistake again. Once you fixed it, it stays fixed. Yes. You know, and that's so important. Especially. When you're um, refactoring, that is, that's vitally important. Absolutely. In, in fact, uh, one of the things I, I say in the book, in uh, one of the early chapters, is 
before you start, what you ought to do is put together a series of what are called characterization tests. Mm -hmm. Because there, if you had unit, if you had a code base that was unit testable, you probably wouldn't need this book in the first place. Ah. What you need is something that looks at the system as it is now and reports how that system uh, is responding. Mm -hmm. So that if you go and make a change afterwards, you can then make sure you're getting back the same responses from the system as a whole. Uh, now, I don't have much of an expectation that people actually do that, <laughs> but it's what you ought to do. Yes. And it comes and it saves you later on when you do it. But, you know, half the battle is knowing what the rules are so that you at least know you're doing something that shouldn't be done. Right. You know, um, it, it's the people that do this stuff and don't know that they're doing it the wrong way. The, the, that's the ones we need to educate. Right. So. And then you come back and you discover, if only I had known this in it, of all the things that yes. they didn't tell me, you know, if only I had known this in advance. Yep. Hey, uh, before we go any further, I want to talk a little bit about our sponsor. I want to give a big shout out to JetBrains. Now, JetBrains creates professional software development tools for coding PHP, JavaScript, and a lot of other languages. They create advanced team collaboration tools. JetBrains' passion is code, and for 16 years, they've strived to make the most effective developer tools available. They even help developers increase productivity by automating routine checks and corrections. That frees the developer up to do the fun stuff like grow and discover and create. Find your bugs in development, not in production. Join over 600,000 happy PHP Storm users worldwide. Now, you can get more information about them at voicesofthelephant.com slash phpstorm. Check, check them out. I think you'll like them. Okay, Paul, you are, I know you've contributed to Zen Framework. You had um, your own, you had um, Aura, and then you had Solar. But now you've got a new project. It's not a framework, um, a project called Atlas. Talk to us a little bit about Atlas. One of the things that I did with, so let me back up, uh, Solar many years ago, full stack framework, uh, all monolithic. When the time came to do the second round of work with Solar, I decided that uh, with the with the other uh, participants that what we were going to do was break it up into individual pieces, so individual libraries with no dependencies on each other that you could then build into a framework if you wanted to, uh, so that no individual library was dependent on any other individual library mm. and also not dependent on the framework. That's uh, a, a lofty goal. Well, and it, it, it worked out. It wasn't terribly popular. It wasn't. Uh, it did not get a lot of popularity. But as a way of organizing a project, I was. I was. I liked it a lot. Um, of those pieces, so again, back up. Solar had an SQL and an SQL connection portion mm -hmm. and a query building system that got extracted into separate libraries under Aura as Aura SQL and Aura SQL Query, mm -hmm. uh, and. With just those two, and Solar had a table data gateway system as well, and sort of a rudimentary model system. Uh, when it came to Aura, I didn't feel like having an ORM kind of thing in Aura was necessary. I had a database connection. Mm -hmm. I had a query building system that was really good. Uh, I always figured that if I needed anything more than that, I just write a couple, write a table data gateway using those, and then put together my data that way, and then deliver it through the system. Uh, and that was a fine idea for as for as far as it went. But one of the things that I discovered uh, later on in that process was that although getting data from individual tables is not so bad, anytime you need to wire up information from relationships between Ooh, those yeah. tables, it's really, I mean, that's really tough. And I underestimated, I was insufficiently pessimistic about my ability <laughs> to do that quickly and well 
in a production situation. Um, I wrote a whole blog post about that. I suppose we can put that in the show notes. But as a result of that experience of trying to do those queries and relationships and wiring things up by hand, uh, I initially wrote a library called Aura Marshall, which takes a data set and then wires it into objects for you. Oh. But you still have to provide that data to the that data to Marshall in the first place. And getting that data in the first place is a real problem. So I started uh, a non-Aura project, a standalone project that used a couple of Aura libraries called Atlas. Okay. Uh, Atlas is a data mapper system, thus the pun in the name, Atlas and Mapper, of course. <laughs> uh, but one of the problems that I'd had with ORMs previously was that I never liked the idea of managing the transition from the database to your actual business domain objects. There's a whole lot of stuff that has to go on there. You have to translate names through, you have to translate relationships through, that kind of, that, that kind of thing, you know, SQL relations to object-oriented model relationships. It's just not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always, I had always thought that's what you have to do until I read this article from a guy named Mehdi Khalili, um, who said that your data mapper doesn't necessarily have to be a model of your business domain. It's perfectly reasonable to have a data mapper that is a model of the persistence layer. Oh. That is having your data, having your having these objects represent the tables and rows mm-hmm. instead of having them represent domain objects. And what he says, and I've, I've discovered this is true, you can get a really long way with just a persistence model, especially early on in the project mm-hmm. uh, that models the tables and the rows and the relationships between them. And then later on, as you discover your domain model, take that persistence model and then translate over translate it over to domain model later. That's where Atlas lives. Atlas is a persistence model data mapper system. Uh, it sits in a very nice, I think it sits in a very nice sweet spot mm-hmm. between something like Doctrine, which is a full up domain model, domain modeling system for translating out of the database over your business objects, entities, that kind of thing, and something like Active Record, where you have to carry around your database connection with every record object there. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, Atlas being a data mapper, you use these mappers to get back record objects that have the relationships between the tables uh, or that know about the relationships relationships between the rows. The mapper wires, wires all that together for you. And it does not carry a database connection at all. So you still have to pass that record through to the mapper. Uh, that turns out to be really flexible uh, yeah, and, very, and very easy to use. And it doesn't require a lot from you in terms of knowing what your domain model is going to be early on because you may not know what your domain model is early on. Now, can I still write my own SQL, or do I have to use one of these bastardized, we're going to build it, build the SQL? So we we are, in fact, going to build the SQL with a query builder, but the query builder methods are direct representations of SQL. So there is, uh, and you'll see this in, I I wrote this for the ZenDB query builder, Solar query builder, the Aura query builder. Basically, they're just, if you want to wear a clause, you, you call the wear method. Uh, yeah. If you want a having clause, you call the having method. It was in uh, the ZenDB that I learned to hate this. Oh well, you're not, <laughs> then you're not going to like this. Uh, the nice, the thing that I think is nice about it is that first of all, we're not building out a new query language. Okay. We're just doing method representations of SQL verbs and clauses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing is that because you can build it up programmatically, you can pass that object around and add where clauses to it at different places in the system depending on what you want it to be. So you can have like a base query and then say add some permissioning to it or add other add other things to it 
uh, change the ordering if you feel like it, that kind of. We thing. do that in um, Nexus. We have a, a, a version of what you're talking mm -hmm. about, <clears throat> um, and it just went out my head <sighs> uh, what to, what I was going to ask. Um, so you you use this query now? Does this query builder output SQL that then this in then Atlas interprets, or do you hand that oh I know what I was so what, you what, hand that to the you hand the query builder to Atlas and Atlas parse it at that point. So Atlas doesn't do any parsing at all. Okay. Uh, what happens is that you use and, and to back up for a moment, Aura SQL and Aura SQL query were in versions one and two of Atlas. Atlas mm -hmm. three it actually takes those libraries uh, and out of Aura and makes them its own. Okay. Tune specifically for Atlas, but the you know it works the same way. So what happens is uh, the whole thing is built in layers. There's the PDO Atlas PDO connection at the bottom layer. There's an SQL query builder above that. There's a table data gateway above that, and then there's the mapper layer above that. Okay. So and all of them reach down through each other, if you will. So if you want to put together a query with your mapper. You put it together you the same way you would as if you were using the PD, the, uh, the just the query builder, mm -hmm. and the mapper adds a couple of bits to it. But what happens is at the bottom, the query builder puts together the SQL mm -hmm. for itself. So nothing's getting translated. You're just telling it, these, these are the, the clauses that I want. Uh, it puts together the SQL string for you. You will have bound values to that in the meantime using a bind value method. And then it hands that query and the array of values to PDO, essentially. PDO does the query and sends all the information back and the mapper wires it up for you. Okay. Now, I'm one of those people that use the correct database, MySQL, Mariah database, but there yes. are some people that make the wrong decision and are stuck with something like Postgres. Uh-huh. Does the We're gonna have we're gonna have words after this, buddy. <laughs> I'm gonna get hate mail for that one. No, how do you handle um, the translation? I mean, do, does the does this handle Different dialects. Of, can it work with Oracle or anything like it that? It will. It will work with all of those. Okay. Uh, it will work. With, so it's specifically there are specific drivers for uh, MySQL, Postgres, SQLite, and SQL Server. Okay. But what Atlas Query is not doing is abstracting the SQL at all. Okay. Most of what you're writing is going to be uh, uh, vendor specific. If there's vendor specific stuff, it doesn't prevent you from using that. Yeah. So we're not abstracting SQL okay. in any way. Uh, if you want to write a where clause against a geo-coordinate latitude long, lat long mm -hmm. in Postgres, you can do it because you're the one writing that portion of the SQL clause. So I'm just calling the where method and handing it the string that is the where yep, clause? that's exactly right. So okay. you can do that in, in as big or as small pieces as you want. That doesn't suck. Okay. I can see that. I'm beginning to, to form it in my head. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, actually, we've come a little over. Um, uh -huh. I want to thank you for taking the time to be with us here. Uh, I think the most important thing I've taken out of this conversation is that when I write my history of PHP book, it's going to be called insufficiently pessimistic. <laughs> I love that term. <laughs> but no, it's, it's been great catching up with you on, um, on what you're up to. I appreciate you coming all the way out here because I know you live in the Nashville area. I'm doing the quotey fingers. Um, but you don't live in Nashville, so right. I know it was a trek for you. Um, and I appreciate you. Um, making the effort to come out here and talk to us today on Voices of the Elephant. Always, always happy to be here. It's great seeing you, and we'll see you next time right here on Voices of the Elephant. Thanks for listening to Voices of the Elephant. Voices of the Elephant is copyright EICC Incorporated and released under a Creative Commons attribution, no derivatives, share and share alike license. To nominate someone to be a guest on Voices of the Elephant, visit our website and click on the nominate link. The URL is voicesoftheelephant.com. 
Elephant is of course spelled E-L-E-P-H-P-A-N-T.